0: going to read this morning from James chapter 2, beginning at verse 14, and because you've sat for just a moment, I would ask that you stand as we read God's Word. From James chapter 2, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God, good, even the demons believe that, and shudder, you foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete, By what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was called called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If you remember last week, I shared with you what I called a challenging text, the parable of the sheep and the goats. And this week is very much along the same lines. And some of you may wonder, well, why is he hammering this so hard? Why are we going after this? Well, of course, it comes in light of us figuring out where we are in God's puzzle, a piece of his puzzle in how we serve others. But I think it also, for me, as I read this text this this past week, it comes down to really that last phrase of the text. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And truly, I want to share with you. Um, I want to share with you what life is. And as your pastor, if the text, at some places says words like "faith without deeds is is dead." I don't want us to have a dead faith. I don't want you, I don't want myself to have a dead faith. I want to experience the life that we have, the fullness of life in Jesus Christ. And if we're going to pursue the fullness of life, then for us to really get to some of the roots of the matter, and when we hear a phrase like, faith without works is dead, that should be compelling to us. Should be challenging, should force us to really wonder, is then my faith alive? I may know the right answers. I may have certain portions of things, the text, catechism, hymns, whatever memorized. But does it move me, move us truly to expressions of those that faith give life? This text this morning, this message this morning is equally challenging as last week's was. And for us to ask some questions not only of this text but of ourselves is really how we begin. Look at the text. It begins with a couple key questions. And these questions, they just sort of hang out there. How are they to be received? Look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Now, hear that question for yourself. I hear that question for me, and it rubs me in some pretty raw places. It should, I think. I think that's the intention of it. But it, it rubs me in a place where I begin to wonder. And truly, I, am I expressing the faith that God has given me? Am I engaging in loving others, serving others, giving to others in a way that truly brings life and brings life to my faith? And frankly, I need to answer sometimes, no. No. Like I get so caught up in what I am doing. I get so caught up in knowing the right things. I get so caught up in just acknowledging before God that through the cross of Jesus Christ I have received His grace and my eternity is short. Something that I said last week and continue to say this week. I hang in that space and don't nearly wonder enough and how am I making my faith alive? How am I... How am I confirming my salvation through fear and trembling by living out my faith in the life of others? Now, the people who are reading this letter, and it's pretty unclear who exactly James was sending this letter to, but they must have felt the slap of the words. I wonder if James was confronting something that he saw in them. Were they frozen chosen? Is it possible that James was writing such a letter to this people? Because truly, faith and works going together is the theme of the entire letter. Was he really getting to something that was going on in the community that was receiving this letter? Was he saying to them hey, guess what? I hear a lot of really good answers from you. I even hear you asking some pretty good questions. But when I look at your impact on the community that you live in and how the church is living life among the people that you live with, I begin to wonder, is your faith real? Because you've created a nice little bubble for yourself, a nice little place of protection In that place of protection, you don't need to live out the difficulty and the messiness and the challenge of God's grace in the life of others because you live and interact and engage in relationship with people who know it. They don't need to know about Jesus because they've already heard about Him He's calling them to go into places and spaces where truly their faith is challenged by understanding how to bring the gospel of Christ, the light of the gospel of Christ, into dark spaces. Were they frozen chosen? Were they stuck in knowing answers? And the characters of the text from James 2, are equally challenging. And here a little bit what really we hear through him bringing up Abraham and Rahab. Abraham. Abraham is the pillar of faith. Abraham is the foundation of the Jewish people. Abraham is the guy that when you're talking about the the hall of fame of faith, even in Hebrews 11, going to Abraham and Abraham and Abraham. Why? Because he really, in so many ways, was the pinnacle of faith. God told him to go, he went. God told him to live among a a dark people, a tribal people, and he did. And he brought the light of Yahweh's love into that community. Truly, this is a pillar. This is one of the good guys. This is one of those, those people that the church holds up and says, this is truly what all of us desire to be. But then you get Rahab, a hooker someone who sells her body for the sexual pleasure of others, truly not in the same category as Abraham. What does it say at the end of the text? In the same way. They're in the same category. Why Because they lived out their faith. Yes, Rahab came from a place of brokenness and lostness. Yes, she was a person who had been a part of things that were ungodly. But when she heard the story of God, it changed her life enough that she lived it out in a transformational way in her world. Should challenge us a little bit. It should force us to wonder a little bit where we fall, maybe on that spectrum, and then in the same way, how we might be joined with them in expressing faith and works. This is challenging stuff, and the key here is the practice of faith. What does it mean for us as followers of Jesus Christ to live out the gospel given to us through the work, the cross, the redemption, the hope that we have in God's only son Jesus who died so that we might have life? How do we take that truth that we know and then begin to express it or continue to express it in the world that we live in sometimes in dark and challenging and Difficult spaces that force us to get into some messiness that we're not nearly comfortable with. But that's part of God's calling. It's part of where he moves us to. It's part of what obedience in our lives is all about. So we need to ask the question. Where is God calling me to live out the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We can see in the text and in our own lives that regardless of our background, for us to express faith in what we do in the lives of others reflects our understanding of salvation in Jesus Christ. You have been forgiven much. You have been redeemed completely. You have been transformed. I have been given the Holy Spirit's presence in my life. What do I do with that truth? Do I want to proclaim it with my words? An FCA, presentation, gospel. Well, guess what? God be praised for FCA, but Ben will tell you awfully quickly. He could go onto a campus and simply proclaim the gospel message. That's not probably barely going to take root till they go back again and live life and enter into the difficulty of being a high school student who's an athlete as well. Enter into the challenge of families that are broken. Enter into kids who are struggling with their identity sexually what their career is, trying to figure out where they fit socially, who are they. That's truly where the gospel begins to take root through the relationship of folks like FCA engaging in serving those students, caring for them, loving them, and the same for us too. Could we in our own lives be indicted for being foolish because we're in our little bubble, nice little protection zone, not willing to take Jesus along with us as we go and meet the needs of others around us? I want to share with you this morning a challenging story from one of my spiritual mentors, someone who I've spoken of before, Mike Iaconelli. I have read from this book before called Nessie Spirituality. If you've never read it, would highly encourage you. It's a challenging book. It's an encouraging book. He pushes the envelope of understanding faith in a lot of ways, sometimes perhaps too far. But at the very least, it forced me to wonder about how I saw my walk with Jesus. He tells this story about an idealistic college student who ended up on a mission trip to one of the more dangerous housing projects in Philadelphia. This young man was a brand new Christian. This wide-eyed urban missionary didn't have a clue how to evangelize the inner city. Frightened and anxious to share his new faith, the young man approached a very large house. Cautiously making his way through the dark, cluttered hallways, he gingerly climbed up one flight of stairs to an apartment. He knocked on the door, and a woman holding a naked, howling baby opened it. She was smoking and not in any mood to hear some white, idealistic college boy tell her about Jesus. She started cursing him, "'and slammed the door in his face. "'The young man was devastated. "'He walked out to the street, sat on the curb, "'and he wept. "'Look at me. "'How in the world could someone like me "'think I could tell anyone about Jesus?' "'Then he remembered that the baby was naked "'and the woman was smoking. "'The plan forming in his head didn't seem terribly spiritual, but he ran down the street to the local market and bought a box of diapers and a pack of cigarettes. When he knocked on the door again, he showed the woman his purchases. She hesitated and then invited him in. For the rest of the day, he played with the baby and changed its diapers, even though he had never changed diapers before. When the woman offered him a cigarette, even though he didn't smoke, he smoked. He spent the entire entire day smoking and changing diapers. There's evangelism for you. Never said a word about Jesus. Late in the afternoon, the woman asked him why he was doing all this, and finally he got to tell her everything he knew about Jesus. took about five minutes. When he stopped talking, the woman looked at him and said softly, Pray for me and my baby, that we can make it out of here alive. So he did. This college boy received a lesson in spiritual growth. In one frustrating afternoon, he learned about the power of sensitivity, the meaning of evangelism, the hopelessness of those who live in urban areas. He also learned that sometimes the Holy Spirit asks us to violate our convictions for a season in order to live the faith, not just talk about it. When this young man returned to college, he didn't start smoking, but he did start listening to the leading of the Holy Spirit. What an education, what a growth-producing experiment. I read that story, and quite frankly, it really pokes me hard because I'm not a smoker, and I'm not advocating to you that you start smoking for Jesus unless you're in a place in a space where the Holy Spirit calls you. And I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that sometimes. I know that sometimes it means maybe it calls us to the bar to sit with the alcoholic and tell stories about our lives so that perhaps some way, somehow, salt and light of Jesus Christ might come to a bar stool that sometimes it may call us through the holy spirit to sit with some people at a poker night even though we may believe fervently against gambling so that over the course of the evening somehow some way the light of Jesus might come out through us into a dark space, a place of sinners. Exactly the sort of space that Jesus went to. I don't know that he did, but I wonder if Jesus was a witness to gambling. He was certainly a witness to alcohol abuse. He was certainly a witness to prostitutes. He was God and He did it perfectly. We're not, we're not going to, but we're still called through the Holy Spirit's power and presence as we know it, sometimes into those dark, challenging, hard spaces to serve others simply with our presence and with truth and with life and with hope so that God might be glorified and the gospel might be proclaimed in us. Not just our words, but in who we are and what we do. And yes, This is not nice, neat Christianity because Christianity fundamentally is never nice and neat. Christianity following Jesus. If Jesus goes into some dark places and we're going to follow Him, it means we go. That's why this is hard. That's why faith and works going together truly is hard for us as followers of Jesus Christ and for us to understand more about how we do this is really important. Well, in the text, there are some keys. For the readers of this letter of James, it must have seemed very daunting. Go out and do something for Jesus. Remember, Jesus is part of the triune God that created the universe. He does everything. He does all things. He has all power, all might. And for us to imagine that doing something for Jesus would make a difference somewhat is the height of arrogance. But that's not why Jesus calls us to do something. He calls us to do something because it doesn't necessarily grow the kingdom outside of us. It grows the kingdom inside of us. It transforms. It gives life. It moves us to be where we aren't now. I can tell you this. If you and I were called to a Philly tenement housing project to go and preach the gospel and we were there for a day smoking cigarettes and changing diapers but doing so in faith that God had called us through the Holy Spirit there, you would come back changed. I would be transformed by that. And that's the purpose. That we might be transformed and changed in expressing Thanksgiving for what we have been given in Jesus Christ into the lives of others. The beauty here is that if one does have faith, then one has exactly what they need for good works. How do we know that? It's in the text. No, it's not in this text, but it is in the text. Turn really quickly with me. One book back, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Text here says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning a shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you have faith, what does that mean? it means that you have christ within you because he's the author of it and he's the perfecter of it and through the holy spirit it works so for you and i to engage in gratitude for what jesus did for us in redeeming our lives by grabbing on to that faith and saying okay lord you are calling And I, in faith, will go where you call and discern where it is that you are calling me. As we do that work, Christ is at work in us because he's the author and the perfecter. He's the one doing it. So then when we go into the tenement houses, when we go into the bars, when we go into the living rooms, when we go into the the workplaces, when we go to the family reunions, which for some of us may be ungodly places, when you go to those places in faith, you are going through the compulsion and the work of Jesus Christ in you, moving you to a space where you can express the gospel. This is really interesting because if we tie this back to last week's message, where we say we meet Jesus in the lives of others, It's like Jesus meeting Jesus because Jesus is the one at work in us and Jesus is at work in the needs of others. The Jesus in us is meeting Jesus in the need of others and Jesus is fully and completely engaged when we in faith serve. When we in faith do good works. When we in faith express gratitude for what Christ has done in us by doing so in the lives of others. There is a reminder of how a Christian's life is thanksgiving for us as an ongoing uh, uh, thanksgiving of Christ's ongoing redemption in them and in us. When we are expressing good works, it's gratitude, folks. And there's some of us who've got to learn better how to say thank you. Because we're in the nice little bubble, the nice little shell, the nice little cylinder. And we're missing out on the life that Christ has for us. We engage with Christ in his work of redemption when we are willing to express the same love offered us in the cross to others. We're allowing God to move in us. We're saying, okay, Lord, do whatever you want. And if where you want me to go is a messy space, that's going to be hard for me. It's going to stretch me. It's going to challenge me. It's going to be sputting, as some might say, sometimes. It's going to feel really uncomfortable. I'm not going to like it always. But if you call me, I will go. Because you called me out of darkness... And you're calling others out of darkness and if you're going to use me to bring them, I'm going to go in faith. Do that work in me. This challenge should be compelling to us. If we are an Abraham, if you have always been a walker with Jesus, if you have always known the love of Christ, or even if you're still learning, maybe you don't know it. And if you don't know the life in Christ, then maybe this is your morning. Come talk to me between services, and I would love to welcome you into the life of faith through the Holy Spirit at work. I would love to be a part of that conversation. And if you're young in the faith and you don't know what it is that you're doing, and maybe you're coming out of a life of brokenness, a life of selfishness, a life of sin, then you, a Rahab, can be equally held before God as a person of faith, just like Abraham, just like somebody who's been walking with Jesus for 75 years. And there are folks here who are in that space doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. It's your opportunity. If you are young, a 14-year-old kid, you have an opportunity to share faith by doing good works in the lives of others, trusting that God is calling you to those places those opportunities. As the Spirit does this in us, not only do our faith and our works grow, But we also experience life in Christ in abundance. We experience life that we've never known before. We experience an understanding of the world that God has for us and His kingdom within it in a way that we never knew. Talk to folks who go to Lagonia School. Talk to folks who are a part of MCCA. Talk to folks who are engaged in this work stuff for Jesus in the life of others, and you will hear their stories of how Christ has changed them through those places and spaces. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I think about Ross and Sandy Cooper, I think they're nuts. Does anyone ever think that? A lot of heads nodding. They're not here now, I'll do this differently, second service, but I can do this now. I think they're crazy sometimes. Why? Because they do what they do. And if you talk to Ross and Sandy for five minutes, they're going to tell you how consuming it is. It's an 18-hour-a-day job sometimes for them to do what they do and live how they live. Their whole life is consumed on Sunday. They get phone calls from strange situations that they never expected they would get. But I'll tell you this, talk to them. They wouldn't have it any other way. Why? Because as they've engaged in the life that God has given them and the ministry that they have, they have seen life that they never knew existed in the kingdom of God. They have seen the Spirit at work in ways that they never imagined. They have seen God move in them, Ross and Sandy, not just the folks around them, Ross and Sandy, in ways that they could have never imagined. That's what happens when we engage in faith. Life comes. We can't go back because we wouldn't have it another way. And yes, this stuff is messy. Yes, it scares you. The idea for some of you, having a cigarette for Jesus. You couldn't imagine it. But I don't know how the Spirit works sometimes. And maybe, maybe God's going to call you to something like that. And as you are obedient in faith, God brings life in the life of others. And Christ brings life in your own heart in a completely new and powerful way. When we look at what we are called to as Christians, obviously there's a couple things that we hold absolutely important. Great commandment, of course, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said those words. And the second thing is, of course, that we would fulfill the great commission. Right? Matthew 28. Go out and baptize in the name of the Father, and the Holy, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. It's what Jesus said to the disciples. Well, there's a connection between James 2 and Matthew 28. See, we understand more and more, especially the longer that we live, the longer that we are in ministry, that you do not proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ into the lives and into the hearts of others unless... You're engaged with life with them. My son Troy, we go to soccer games over in Merino Valley. If you've ever driven down, it's um, what's the name of the boulevard? I can't. Frederick Boulevard, Frederick Road. On Saturday, just off the freeway, every Saturday, there is a group of folks with signs up that say, The gospel is for you. We can tell you about Jesus. I don't know what to do with that sometime, but I do know that I never see anybody talking to them. I never see anybody talking to them. Why? Because they got signs. They don't have diapers. If they sat there with a sign that said, free diapers, you know how many people would stop? You know how many people would stop if they said, free loaves of bread, free eggs, I'd stop. I don't need those things. What if they said free car wash? What if they said free counseling? What if they said free library volunteers? What if they said free Bibles? Then perhaps engaging in the needs of others would give them a doorway to proclaim the gospel. That perhaps there might be a relationship begun. And for us to wonder, as Christ has transformed you through the work of the cross and the redemption of his perfection, his righteousness that he has given to you, redeemed you, and given you the gift of the Holy Spirit, as Christ has fulfilled that work in you, how is he calling you to take that exact same message into the lives of others? And yes, Sometimes it comes in words. But so very, very often, it comes in works. And remember, faith without works is dead. Would you pray with me? Living God, we ask that You bring life to us That truly, Lord, our desire to engage with your Holy Spirit's leading brings us to places and spaces where we see how your life expresses itself as we serve others. Those messy places. And when we go to those messy places, Lord, give us wisdom and discernment. You do not call us to be of the world, but you do call us to be in the world. You do call us to live in dark spaces, in messy spots sometimes. And you call us into those spaces, Lord, not just to be bringing your kingdom to others, but so that your kingdom might come in us. Transform us. Soften our hearts. Even to those that we might judge, even to those that we might think are too far gone, even to those who we might feel uncomfortable engaging with because of the darkness in their lives, soften our hearts that we might see, Lord. If you are calling, and if you are calling us to follow you, and bring light into darkness, and give us your spirit, strength, wisdom, and discernment to go, be light, be salt and be a part of growing your kingdom. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus. Amen.